Life can be tragically cut short, can't it? A few examples come to mind uh, for me personally. One of the first ones that comes to mind about life being cut short tragically is the co-founder and CEO of Apple, Steve Jobs. A man with so much potential, achieved so much with his life, and then his life tragically taken out by cancer. There's so much potential left. Princess Diana comes to mind as well, uh, the most famous woman in the world, uh, the mother of the heir to the throne of uh, Britain, a beloved humanitarian, the people's princess. Her life tragically cut short. Recent events uh, this past week in Las Vegas. 59, I heard the count was this morning, 59 lives cut short. Perhaps there's someone you know, perhaps someone close, perhaps a loved one whose life has been tragically cut short. Perhaps contrary to uh, what you were thinking when Vicky read this passage out, perhaps a little bit surprising. Um, that's what this text, Genesis 5, is about. Lives tragically cut short. This text is about death. You're thinking, this guy's going to be kidding. Methuselah, 960 years? So don't grab him and be proud of that is. Life tragically cut short? Let me say something, 960 years is a life that is tragically cut short. We think what's shocking about this text is the length of their lives. What's shocking about this text is that they died. Because they were meant to live forever. More about that in a moment. What I want to look at this morning is three things I think we learn from this text from Genesis chapter 5. Firstly, that life is from God. Secondly, death is from Adam, first human. And thirdly, hope is from a son. I think that's what we see here in Genesis chapter 5. Firstly, life is from God. Genesis 5 starts with recapping what we have learned in Genesis chapter 1. And two, we're on a series through the book of Genesis, and it, it recaps what we've learned about how God created humanity to be. Uh, verses one and two, let me read them. It says, When God created man, he created, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, he blessed them, and when they were created, he called them man. God created the world. That's how Genesis 1 starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We find out in Genesis 1, he creates humankind as the climax of his creation. And he creates them perfect. He creates them in his image. That's what we see again here. We've got a little recap going on. And, and we're learning about exactly what God intended for humans to be like. He, he intended them to have life. That's the first thing we see. Life. 
Without God, there would be no life. And he created them to have life like God's life. I mean, that is just, if you start thinking about this, humans, we are created to be like God. That's almost got infinite meaning, doesn't it? We're created to be good, we're created to be social, we're created to be beautiful, we're created to be perfect, we're created to, one of the implications of this in the moment is that we're created to live forever. Not only that, here the author reminds us that God created male and female and he blessed them. What's that? What's God's blessing? I think, you know, simply it's God created us to be good. He created us to be like God and to do things like God. He gave us a purpose. He put us in paradise. Remember Genesis chapter 2, what happens? Adam and Eve enjoy this good, perfect creation that they have with one another and with God. He blesses them. A beautiful life. Um, but he didn't just create, and it's really important, he didn't, didn't just create them to enjoy a good life for a long time. He enjoyed, he created them to have a good life forever. That's what we see in Genesis 1 and 2, and that's how the world was intended to be made. Now, you and I, I think we get glimpses of this in our everyday life, don't we? Glimpses of the good world that God has made. Now, you don't have to go far in Willoughby, maybe, to experience this. Uh, but what about the birth of a new child? Don't we say, what a miracle? Isn't he or she perfection? The smell, it gets me every time. A mate of mine has just had a baby. The first thing I do is like, ah, oh, life. Good, perfect, miracle, amazing. Life as it should be. We experience that sometimes. I was thinking about sunsets as I was writing this, but this morning I was up at about 5 o'clock driving to church here. Uh, we don't have a service at 5, but I was getting ready. And there was a moonrise this morning. The moon was huge. I just thought, wow, life, good. God, bless him. Thank you. Life as it should be. We get glimpses of this. Maybe we get 20 years, if God's kind to us, of glimpses of this. Maybe we get 40 years. Maybe we get 60. Maybe we get 80 years worth of glimpses. But that's all it is, isn't it? Glimpses. I was talking to a friend this week, actually, one of my oldest friends. We grew up in church together. Um, and church plays less of a role in his life now, but he said he was having a conversation two of his friends, and they were debating, you know, is life fundamentally good, or is life fundamentally bad? In other words, is life um, just going down the gurgler? Is it spiraling out of control? Or is life good? Is there some hope for the world? And I agreed with him. I was like, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Some days, I'm, some of you will experience this, some days things go well. And we're like, life is great. Life is really, really good. Other days, life is tragic. This week, we're reminded, life is tragic. And I had the opportunity to share. I was like, hey, I'm, I'm speaking on Genesis chapter 5 this week, and I think it speaks in this. On the one hand, we've seen right here at the beginning, we've got this little bubble of what life once was. When, it was, when humans were created by God, they were created good. Yes, life is good. 
but we experience something else as well, don't we? So we've seen that life comes from God, but what about this other experience that we have of death in the world, of tragedy in the world? Point two is death comes from Adam. Death doesn't come from God. Death comes from Adam. Uh, It's striking here, verse 3, it says, When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. It is striking that it mentions that Adam has a son in his own likeness, in his own image, because that's language that's been used about God and us in God's image and God's image. But now, Adam's having a son in his own image, in his own likeness. Now, you know, what is this? We've talked about it a little bit, but um, when talking about human terms, likeness and image is something that is passed on, isn't it? It's passed down to future generations. Usually we talk about noses, um, ears, eyes, hair, <laughs> hairlines, good hair, bad hair. <laughs> Genesis is going a little bit deeper. Genesis is going into what's passed on to us at the core of who we are. And it's saying, just like we inherit something from God, and we still do, I'd say in, in, in kind of one way of understanding, we'd say we inherit life from God, and we inherit His image, that is life. But we also inherit something from Adam. It's as if we inherit God's image through Adam. And that's to say that what we experience actually is that God's image in us is polluted or corrupted. It's the pure image made impure. Uh, That's because Adam disobeyed God. We know this. When Adam disobeyed God, His punishment was death. God had told him, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And the world, after Adam dies, there's a curse on the world. Uh, But what we read here for the first time, really, in the book of Genesis, is a real death, a total death. That's, that's what we come to here. This is the first instance. I want you to grasp this for a moment. This is the first instance of God's image, of God's, the best thing God has ever made of him, of humankind, of Adam himself. The best thing God ever made dies. The best thing that God ever made dies. That's what we're reading in this text. That what we're seeing here is the outworking of Adam and Eve's decision to disobey God. The result of that is death. And here it is. This is the book of death. Adam dies. And not just Adam, but it's passed on to his sons and daughters. Now, I know it's hard to be sympathetic to somebody who lives 900 years. Methuselah, he's the oldest. Uh, he probably thought he was never going to die. He's nearly at a thousand. He probably thought he was going to live forever, but he doesn't. 
Listen, 900 years uh, sounds like a lot to us, but it's a lot shorter than forever. It's infinitely shorter than forever. Adam was supposed to live forever. Seth, his son, was supposed to live forever. We were supposed to live forever. But Adam dies, Seth dies, Canaan dies, we die. And it's almost bittersweet that they live this long, isn't it? Uh, what's really interesting is we have other texts from the time and place that this text was written in the ancient Near East. And what's really interesting about those texts um, is that they're, they're very similar, some of them. We've got a list, a line of kings that is interestingly before a flood, like ours is, uh, before Noah, we'll come to that in a moment. Uh, and not only that, it's very interesting because they all live and have incredibly long reigns, some of them 28,000 years, 36,000 years, the longest one is 43,200 years old. Uh, you thought these numbers in Genesis were far-fetched. Genesis is probably more realistic. But whether this is a true number or a symbolic number, and I probably think it's the former, uh, the point is that your jaw drops thinking about the length of life that these people have. The purpose of those ancient Near Eastern texts were to show that these people had divine favour. That they were given the right to live and the right to rule for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. They're impressive people who are favoured by the divine. Genesis is very different because it doesn't hold out the majesty, it holds out the tragedy of Adam and Eve's decision. It doesn't show their divine favour, it shows their divine faith. And what we're seeing here is that death comes from Adam, death enters our world. Adam. The third thing to say, if life is from God, death is from Adam, finally there is hope from a son. There is hope from, from a son. Um, we see this throughout many sons in Adam's line. The first one is Seth, his first son. At the end of Genesis 4, we saw last week, um, well, at the end of Genesis 3, actually, after the fall, God says, he makes a promise that, that one day a daughter or a son of Adam and Eve will crush the serpent's head. That is, he'll conquer evil once and for all. And so we're waiting for that. Uh, Cain comes along, Cain gets killed, doesn't he? Gets wiped out. Um, he dies. Abel is killed by his brother Cain. And we're waiting for a son, and we're told that Seth, God put Seth uh, there, and it's almost as if, wow, actually this could be the son that changes the direction for the world. But we're told here in our burial list of Genesis chapter 5 that Seth dies. So we have a little bit of hope. There's a new line, there's a line that is different from the world spiraling out of control. But Seth dies. Then we have another son, Enoch. Uh, I wonder whether Enoch's name stood out to you. Verse 24, it stands out to me. Uh, it says this, 5.24, Enoch walked with God, then he was no more, because God took him away. Enoch escapes death. How cool is that? 
It makes me think, is that an option for me? <laughs> Can I escape death? I think the hope that we see in Enoch is perhaps there is more to life than the life that we see around us. Enoch gets whisked away somewhere else. If Seth points to God having a plan, Enoch points to there being a hope, there being an end, us hanging out with God forever. And then finally, another son stands out, which is Noah. Verse 28 says, um, when Lamech had lived 182 lives, he had a son, he named him Noah, and said, he will comfort us in the labor, labor and painful toil of our hands. Uh, Noah is someone who is righteous before God. That's what we find out in Genesis 6, 7, 8, 9. You might know the story of Noah and the ark and the flood. Um, Noah walks with God and he's saved. The tragedy of the story really is that Noah is the only one who is saved. Noah is the only righteous one before God. And, but through Noah, a new humanity is started, a new family that fill the earth. But it's not enough to stop the curse. Noah still dies. In Genesis 9, Noah dies as well. What we really need is to escape the curse from Adam. We need to get out from underneath Adam's line. How do we do that? There's only one line. It comes through Adam. If only we could get back to our original identity, being made in the image and likeness of God who gives life. If we could circumvent Adam. Well, fortunately for us, there is hope in a son. There is hope in the son. This is Jesus Christ. Paul says of him in Colossians, in the New Testament, he says, The Son, Jesus, is the image of God. Is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15. The firstborn of all creation. And the firstborn from among the dead. What, what is that? What, what's Paul saying? Paul's saying Jesus is the Son, the image of God. That means Jesus always, only ever, eternally, Perfectly related to God the way humans are, related, are made to relate to God. But it also goes on to say that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. What does that mean? It means that for those of us who know and love and trust the Lord, who believe in Jesus' death and his resurrection, it means there's a new way for us. There's a, a way out from underneath the curse. It means we will rise and have new life just as Christ rose and had been life. Because Christ defeats death, and more than that, he gives us his image to bear and to grow into. Paul continues, he says, you, Christian, have taken off your old self, the one connected to Adam, you've put on the new self, which is connected to Christ, which has been renewed according to the image of the one who created. And at last, in Jesus, humanity can be what God intends for them to be free from sin and death, living with him a good and forever life. What does this mean for us? Very quickly, I've got a few ideas about what this means for us. The first one, I think it's really important for us to, to understand that death is not normal and death comes from Adam, not from God. Uh, because it means that when the world is in just rainbows and unicorns. Uh, it means we don't fall into despair. We go, actually, 
This is a part of the story that we've been born into. I was listening to a contemporary philosopher this week, Alain de Botton. You might know him. And um, he was saying the rise of suicide in the West coincides with the rise of the individual and the responsibility all being put on the individual in the West. What he's saying is, is there's so much focus and pressure on you and I as individual people, so when life goes bad, we just blame ourselves. We think, I could have helped this. I think Elaine did the times onto something, uh, and I think I would choose different words and a different narrative. I think he's seen something about the reality of our world, that there is tragedy and there is death in our world because Adam brought him into our world. Uh, this, the second application for us, I think, is quite the contrary. And that is, is that we need to shake off thousands of years of thinking that death is normal and heightening our understanding of God's original intention for us as humans and, and the future that he has for us. That we will live with him forever. I was continuing my conversation with my friend on the phone and I said, mate, you've got to know, Christians believe that one day the world will be made right and good and perfect. That's the future of our world. And he chuckled, he laughed, he said, Matt, that's a little bit hard to believe. And I said, yes, I know, it requires a bit of imagination, doesn't it? Not fantasizing, but imagination. We have to remember what God's plan for the world is. Uh, finally, the third aspect is... Um, is this idea that you will live forever. If you're a Christian in Christ, being remade in His image, you're going to live forever with God. Us young kids, if I can still be young, 31, uh, we have a statement, it's called YOLO, it means you only live once, you heard it? And it's kind of a philosophy to say, um, you know, go and do crazy things, you only live once, go and get it done. Um, I want to I'm not going to you know, bring a new saying because it just doesn't have the same ring to it. But yoff is the new saying. That is, you only live forever. <laughs> how would you live if you knew? How would you live today if you knew you lived forever? I think life would become more than a bucket I'm going to leave you with those thoughts and just say this. We've been reading today in Genesis the book of the generations of Adam. And it's a book of other people who die. Um, there's another book the Bible talks about which is called the Book of Life. And it has names in it of people who walk with God and who live with Him forever. Now, where is your name going to be written? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to remember the world that you made, how you made it that you give us life. Help us also to remember and to know that death is in our world. Uh, because of Adam, because of the curse, it's not the way it's meant to be. Finally, help us have hope in your Son. Amen.